Good morning. When I was first looking at this section of Scripture, I have to admit, I was looking at the fruit of the Spirit thinking, okay, I'm going to get into at least the first of the list. And so I was going to focus on love. Well, as I started to write the sermon, I realized I am not going to get there. But I had started in that vein of going toward love. And I thought it was very important to keep what I had written already there because of the love of God is so central to what we're looking at this morning when speaking of the fruit of the Spirit. When you think of God, what are your first thoughts? There are some people that think of God as only a severe, angry, fierce uh, God who is looking at the slightest error or misstep of a person and then moving toward a fiery indignation. But that, that God is actually not very easily moved toward love or compassion. Some think of the Lord as one who reigns in heaven above. And so, therefore, he's unconcerned or completely indifferent to the things that we deal with, our struggles, our conflicts. The fact that we are poor and needy creatures. And this may be because many people have never heard a faithful presentation of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, whereby the everlasting love of God is wondrously revealed in His outpouring of wrath and condemnation upon His only begotten Son, so that ungodly sinners who put their trust in Him alone might freely be forgiven and the imputed righteousness of Christ be put on our account. Even professing Christians at times walk dreading the wrath of God because they have little or no experience with the love of God and the intimate communion with this God of love. Our God who has revealed Himself in the pages of Holy Scripture is indeed a holy God who cannot approve sin, who does judge the wicked and rebellious people. But let no one ever think that He is severe and harsh and disinterested even in the chief of sinners who cast themselves upon His feet pleading for His mercy and forgiveness through faith in Christ alone. My friends, we can only grow in our love for God and others as we experience the love of Christ. Without that, we have nothing but a profession 
that is nothing more than a lie. You see, because the fruit of the Spirit is DNA that's actually implanted in the soul of every sinner, every Christian that's been regenerated, has been reborn by the power of the Holy Spirit. If we know and experience the severity of God more than we know and experience the love of God, we will end up being harsh toward people. We will be unloving. And even within our church, we will sit there and say, we are the, 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 the ones that are, are above everyone else. Everyone else has to meet our standards. And so then we end up being very haughty in our relationship with other people. But when we experience the love of God, that love will actually melt our proud hearts, our self-righteous hearts, and it will purify our self-centered and pleasure-seeking thoughts. Those words that are unedifying to the body, the deeds that we do that have no place in the life of a Christian. And we will sacrificially serve our neighbor as Jesus Christ Himself served those around Him. You see, Christian love is not passive. It's not an inactive concept, but it's a working, active, giving vehicle of service. It's not a stationary trophy that you put on your bookcase and you just sit there and polish it once in a while. It's actually the labor and the hard work that won that trophy. Christian love is intended by God to work and serve and give to others. Give ourselves to God and give ourselves to our neighbors. Christ's love is not found in a mere profession of faith. Too many people have walked the aisle, raised their hand, prayed the prayer, and they think that they are saved because of that. And so they have a a faith that is actually inactive. It's dormant. When they go out amongst people, you cannot tell that they're saved at all. For our Savior, He... His love was living and serving and sacrificial, actually to the point of death, the cursed cross that he would hang on, powerfully showed his love for us. It's this very love that has been implanted in the very soul by the Holy Spirit of every single believer in Christ. The love of Christ and the life of a Christian is evident because it's a living, growing, active service, sacrificially giving to our God, to our brethren, to our neighbor. James 2.26 says, Faith without works is a dead faith. 
And so why we see love as the first fruit listed in the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22, it's because love is the chief fruit that manifests the life of Christ It's the DNA of the Lord Jesus and the life of a Christian because love is the fountain from which all other fruit flows. Although the fruit of love is not the means by which a sinner is declared righteous, it is the grace of God. You are not saved by the love of God. The love of God compelled Him to send His Son as a sacrificial atonement for our sins. We are not saved by His love. We are saved by His grace. It has to be judicially satisfied. And love cannot do that, but grace can. We often see the fruit of the Spirit portrayed in the apostles and Christians that we see because they understand the love of God for them. And therefore they trust in Christ and Christ alone. And that's the reason they have Christian love. The love that withstands all of the attacks, all of the the fiery darts that come against them. I could tell you how important and how significant the love of Christ is in the life of a believer. But I think I would rather give you a quick summary right from the mouth of Christ and the apostles the impact, the supreme impact of this love as the necessity the necessity of the first fruit of the Spirit. I mentioned this last week in the sermon that when Jesus was asked in Matthew 22, 36-40, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And in John thirteen thirty four and 35, he says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another By this you will know that you are my disciples. By this you will know. So many people lose that. By this you will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And in 1 Corinthians 13.13, the Apostle Paul says, And now abide hope, faith, love. These three but the greatest of these is love. 
And in Colossians 3.14, he says, Above all things, put on love, which is bound, which is the bond of perfection. The Apostle John says in 1 John 13, 14, uh, 3 and 13-14, he says, Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. And he continues in 1 John 4, 7-11, through Beloved, let us love one another, for love, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God is manifested toward us, or made clear toward us, that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this love, uh, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He has loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation means the appeasement of wrath. Unconverted sinners have the wrath of God upon them. Every one of us has been in that situation. But when we come to Christ, He is our propitiation. He has satisfied the wrath of God that we deserve. That is an important word. And it continues, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. With such a scriptural testimony concerning the supreme importance and necessity of Christian love, I, I, I hope that we don't just simply wade into this Christian love merely just sticking our toe in the pool. I pray that we immerse ourselves, plunge ourselves into the depths of this ocean of Christian love. And so let's go ahead and get started in our text. If you would please turn to uh, Galatians chapter 5 and verses 22 through 26. Galatians chapter 5, starting with verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness. Or, or goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have, been crucif- have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, we are going to really get into this, an exegetical study. To exegete is to draw out. To eisegete is to speak in. So many times when pastors prepare a sermon, they take one Scripture text. They go, oh, this ends up talking about what I want to say. That's eisegesis. That's taking a text and making it appear to to back up what they're saying we don't want to do that we want to take the scripture text and draw out of what it says 
And we have to do that by looking at the whole of Scripture. And so, I'd like you to look at Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19. Just look back a couple verses. Do you see where it says the works of the flesh are evident? If you look at verse 19, the, the noun works, maybe it's in your version, the noun deeds, it's plural. But then look at verse 22. The noun fruit, it's singular. See, this is a comparison to the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. If you look at this from a quantitative perspective or a kind of numerical perspective, it's interesting. Because there are 17 works of the flesh that are listed. But only one fruit. And you're going, whoa there, pastor! I see there's nine listed. No. Fruit is actually singular. When you go and you order a bowl of fruit, you don't go, hey, I would like a bowl of fruits. You say, I like a bowl of fruit. Probably has bananas and oranges and pineapple and all that. But you say, I want fruit. I want a fruit bowl. You understand that it's probably mixed. It has a whole bunch of them. That's sort of the idea here. It's because they don't operate independently of themselves, but they work in conjunction with each other. And what this tells us is that when it comes to manufacturing works of the flesh, there are many types of the works of the flesh that can be manufactured. As I said, there's 17 of them listed there. But when it comes to fruit of the Spirit a person receives the whole package. The entire fruit package as one unit. When the Spirit of God controls a person's life, all of these fruits will at, in, in some uh, measure be evident. All of them. Our job is to get in tune with the Holy Spirit. And when we are, this will be the byproduct of this reality. Now, let me say though, there's a major difference between works and fruit. The difference is this. Works are the result of human effort. Human labor. Human strain. Fruit isn't. Fruit is the result of yielding to a divine supernatural life force that is working within us that causes fruit to grow. You can go to a factory and see what a machine puts out. A machine turns out a product. But have you ever gone to a fruit factory? No! Because a machine can't produce fruit. Fruit has a life force that runs through the plant or tree. A machine cannot produce fruit. It can produce works. But you see, it doesn't come very quickly. It doesn't even happen overnight. 
When it comes to the spiritual life, we can only produce works of the flesh ourselves. We cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit ourselves. Only God's Spirit can do that. And that process only begins when we believe and trust in Christ. In fact, without Christ in one's life, there will be no fruit. That's what John 15.5 says. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now the fruit that is mentioned here cannot be manufactured by our works. It can't be manufactured by our religion. And it cannot be manufactured by church. That means that this fruit cannot be manufactured by circumcision, by catechism, or by baptism. This fruit cannot be manufactured by trying to keep the law or following tradition, especially church tradition. This fruit cannot be produced in goats. This fruit is only produced by sheep. God's sheep. And by the way, you cannot make a goat into a sheep. So many people think, well, you know, they're, the unbeliever is a goat. No! The unbeliever who is going to come to Christ is a sheep that is called by Christ. He turns from a lost sheep into a sheep who is in his fold. Matthew, Matthew uh, 7 tells us about those who are true disciples and those who aren't. So if you would please turn to Matthew chapter 7, and we'll look at verses 15 through 20. Matthew chapter 7. And we'll start with verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Interesting. You will know them by what? By their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? If you see a thorn bush with grapes or you see a thistle with figs, you know that the root doesn't produce that fruit. It's been stuck on there. It's something that someone is trying to to have a mock representation of fruit. Oh, see how loving I am? See how I do this and see how I do that? But then you watch and you go, "Mm -mm, no. Because the, the plant isn't a fruit tree. You see the root. No root, no fruit. Wrong root, wrong fruit. 
And so here's it goes on to explain that. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. Get that? Good tree, good fruit. Bad tree, bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thereby, by their fruits, you will know them. So look at the fruits. The, the, all of the, the fruit should be there in measure. You don't see it? Be skeptical. It's just stuck on. It's the thorn bush. It's, it's the thistle. Because you see, only this kind of fruit can be produced by the Holy Spirit. And it is only produced when we yield to Him and connect to Him. God wants us to be producing fruit. He doesn't want us to produce a little either. He wants us to produce much fruit. And let's go ahead and see what what Jesus said about this in John 15. So if you turn to John 15 and verses 1 through 8. John 15 and verses 1 through 8. Here, starting in verse 1. Listen very closely, please. I am the true vine. Remember we talked about the false, the thistle and the thorn bush? I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that, does, that bears fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I am him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they are gathered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, there we see scripture, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Now as a believer, we continually produce. But what do we produce? Do we produce works of the flesh? Or do we produce the fruit of the Spirit. Any honest fruit inspection will determine what we bear. Fruit cannot come from bad flesh. However, good fruit 
can only come by yielding to the Holy Spirit. Our life is either controlled by the flesh or controlled by the Spirit. And by analyzing ourselves, we can determine which it is. Do we continually try to uh, look in manifesting one or the other? Are we controlled by the works of the flesh or are we controlled by the fruit of the Spirit? Do you notice when you look at the beginning of verse 22 what it says? There's a conjunction that is there. The word but. The word but. Scripture is drawing a sharp contrast between the works of the flesh and it's saying the opposite way to live is specifically controlled by the Spirit. You know, so many times we see Christian books about building character Christian life, you want to be built in the character, it's by this book. Sola Scriptura. There may be other books that can help if they are Scripture-based for you to get an idea of what you need to be doing to be a fruitful Christian. Paul taught here that we need to abide in Christ, in Him and us. Supernaturally, we do this when we are born again of the Spirit. Where now our desire and our will changes. You see, work of the flesh... Start, starts with us. It's in us naturally. It originates from us. But the fruit of the Spirit originates from the work of the Holy Spirit. And if I am a believer, the work of the flesh comes from my old nature. And the problem is that flesh part part of that flesh at least, is still in me. Even after being converted. After being born again. So there's this battle between the flesh and the Spirit. And I hope that we can all say that I'm not the person that I once was. Today, I'm not what I was yesterday. But I pray that I am not the same person tomorrow that I am today. You see, that that new creation in me, it has a new desire. But that flesh still works in me. still pulls me. How I used to think and what I used to do before Christ came into my life, those thoughts, to a certain extent, are still with me. And so what people do, the argument is, well, that just helps God's grace really be greater. Because the more He can forgive, the better, right? Well, let's turn to Romans chapter 6. 
Romans chapter 6 and verses 3 through 7. Because what happens is you have the uninstructed Christian, maybe well meaning, they say, well, if I continue in sin, grace might abound, right? So the grace of God will be greater because I, He keeps forgiving me. You know, that you hear that. But let's just look at what it says. Verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul uses the strongest language in the Greek. Certainly not. God forbid. And here's his reasoning. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory, the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also should be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For He who has died has freed us from sin. You see, we are not bound to that sin. Before we were saved, we were. Before we were saved, we couldn't do any good. Now, yes, we could do some good things, but it wasn't for the glory of God. It was for our own glory. I do nice things because I want to be thought well of, but that has nothing to do with God. They don't go, I want to glorify God in my life. So, we see that Paul is saying, how should we who have died to sin live any longer in it? Otherwise, the works of the flesh abound instead of the Spirit-driven fruit. The believer in Christ has really and actually experienced the Holy Spirit's working a death to sin in his heart. It's called the circumcision of the heart. And if you would please turn to Colossians, but keep your finger in Romans because we're going to come back to that. But turn to Colossians chapter 2 and 11 through 15. Now, I want to make this point. Jewish circumcision is only an outward sign of being set apart to God. Understand that. Jewish circumcision is an outward sign of being set apart to God. The New Testament circumcision is that of the heart that has been changed, therefore set apart to God. 
That's where this connection is, so don't miss that. So Colossians 2, starting with verse 11. In Him you were also circumcised with the circumcised made without hands. You see that? By putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ buried with Him in baptism in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. And then he says, and you, meaning us, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh has made us alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. He made a public spectacle. That's why Christ was on the hill, so that people would see what God did and making him the propitiation for the sins of those who would believe. The Holy Spirit putting off the, the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism in which you were also raised with Him through faith. You see, that's what happened. We now have a sign of being set apart But that sign wasn't made with human hands. It was made by the Spirit of God in our hearts. There is the sign manifest, and the manifestation of that is fruit. Are you getting the connection? The baptism that's talked about in verse 13, or verse 3, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit who does a spiritual work in placing us into Christ's death. Now, we do have a physical baptism, which is done before the church, and that's a a picture of what the the Holy Spirit has done for us in actuality. But I want you to look a little more closely. Turn back to Romans uh, chapter 6 and verse 5. It says, For we have been united together, have been united together in the likeness of his death. Certainly, we shall also be united in the likeness of his resurrection. You see, there's a a real spiritual union which has been established by Christ through the Holy Spirit. It's a planting of a principle of grace in the hearts and minds of a believer. Now in the the King James it says, uh, we were planted together. And that word there is uh, sumphumtos in the Greek. And it actually means planted together. We are, are in the same soil together. Because when the Holy Spirit imparts spiritual life and strength to the believer, His working works us together in the same soil. Good soil. And it enables us to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. 
I think it's interesting. When we were at G3 and reading some of the comments, do you know what it said? Comment after comment. It was wonderful to be with like-minded believers. Those who believe and trust in Christ and Christ alone. Those who hold up Scripture as our only authority. To be like-minded. How beautiful is that? It's these people that were feeding on the Word of God. Needing to receive the truth of the Word into the mind and the heart so that the Spirit would give us wisdom and insight. And this is an ongoing thing. That we should always be in the Word. Not just hear the Gospel and think, okay, good, got it. Now I want to just go to church. I want to hear some, some little sermonette for Christianettes. You know, that's... <laughs> No, we need to hear the gospel again and again. We just we just sang that song. We love to hear the story. And it's beautiful every time you hear it. It enlightens us to see that we should trust in Christ for all the grace that we need daily. The spiritual nourishment that we need daily to sustain us in this life and to live and bear much fruit. Many of the people listening to Jesus, you know, I hear it all the time. If Jesus was here, everyone would be a Christian. That is wrong. They weren't then. They wouldn't be now. Matter of fact, you know what they did? They put him to death. They didn't want to hear it. We need to be constantly in the Word and we need to be constantly in prayer. But don't fool yourself. You need Scripture in order to know how to pray. That needs to be the guiding force. How can we pray what God's will is when this reveals the will of God to us? Otherwise, we're just clanging symbols. We're praying whatever we think, whatever we desire. We're going, it's all about us, God. No, when we're in His Word, we pray according to His Word. When we confess our sins, what it means, that word confess, means to speak the same. So when we confess, we say, the sin that's in my life is exactly the way you say it is. And I'll tell you what, we should feel absolutely at the pit knowing what we deserve. But then we hear the gospel and we go, praise God! He has paid that price! That's the glory of it. And we should daily be understanding that. She loved much because she was forgiven much and she knew how much she had been forgiven. That should be us. We love much because we have been forgiven much and we know how much we have been forgiven. We need to have a cultivating practice 
of being in the Word and prayer to keep our flesh at bay so that walking in the flesh is foreign to us and that being in the Spirit is our home. There's so many times where we don't do what we want to do. We stumble and we fall into the patterns that are more in line with what we were. Romans 7.20 The Apostle Paul says, it's not me, but sin in me. He's saying, you know what? I know who I am but I'm in this, this flesh body. This flesh body wants to do what it wants to do, but that, that's not what I want to do. I want to walk in the Spirit because walking in the flesh is rebellion. The fruit, as I've said, it's in a collective group of nine I'm going to give you a a definition of the fruit of the Spirit. It's the natural expression of the supernatural activity of the movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And for you who are note takers, let me say it again. The fruit of the Spirit is a natural expression of the supernatural activity of the Holy Spirit moving and working in our lives. The work of the flesh, it's ugly and it's disastrous. It'll destroy our lives. It'll destroy relationships. It'll do it in a very devastating way. But those are the things that essentially dominate the life of an unsaved person. That's where they live. You see, there are a million different ways you can end up finding your way and having an an eternity in hell. But there's only one thing that can take you to the place of the opposite. There are a million ways to go to hell. There's only one way to go to heaven. The fruit of the Spirit... is shown in the believer. And although we can sometimes see work of the flesh, we don't look at every little thing where the person falls. Like I once said, we don't take snapshots and say, aha, you ended up working by the fruit of the flesh or the work of the flesh. No, we take a movie where we go, Oh, you know what? I see the flesh in there. But this is a movie of the of the fruit of the spirit. That's what I see. That's what we need to do. We need to see that that enters in from time to time. But we also need to understand that that's a sanctification process, a process of being made holy. It's it's actually a decreasing frequency of what is listed in verses 19 through 21. And it's an increasing frequency of that 
which is listed in 22-23. through 23. Life lived in the flesh, even under the law, produces the vices in 19-21. through 21. Life lived in the Spirit produces the virtues of verses 22 and 23. And these, these are the mark of a true Christian. Tim read in our call to worship Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his his law he meditates on day and night. And here we have it. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in season. You see, this isn't just a New Testament concept. This is Old Testament as well. And you know, one of the ways you can tell fruit is the mouth. The mouth. It says that the expression and tense of the thoughts of the heart come out of the mouth. That's a good litmus test. These people that go and they talk foul, they curse, they're mean, they do all those things, they think, oh, it's okay for me to be foul. The Bible says, does fresh water flow out of the same well as salt water? The mouth that glorifies God, does it also curse? No, it shouldn't be. That's something that just is way too common in modern day Christianity, thinking, you know what, I don't need to watch my manner of life. I don't need to watch my what I say. There's, God seems to be detached from my life. But you see, there's a critical point here being made. In order for us to have the fruit of the Spirit, we need to be united with the Spirit. And on the same, on, on, on one hand and the other hand, we need to be severed from the flesh. John MacArthur says, how do you know when someone is a follower of Christ? They have much fruit. Now that fruit may be a hundredfold, maybe sixtyfold, maybe thirtyfold. It will be much fruit because Christ who was raised from the dead so that we might receive life and that we would produce fruit for God. All the fruit is all goodness, all righteousness, all truth, all good works. We're walking in a manner of bearing fruit, displaying fruit. And that's proof that we are disciples of Christ. Now specifically, MacArthur goes on to say, there are some behaviors that are uh, indicated in Scripture to be fruit. Hebrews 13 is one. The sacrifice of praise to God the fruit of your lips, giving thanks to His name. You see, worship is fruit. This is an activity that is fruitful. 
When you worship, when you praise the Lord, you give Him honor, you, you're bearing fruit. In Romans 15.28, Paul asked people for the, the gift, uh, or thank people for the gift that they sent him. They, they sent him a gift, financial gift, to support him. And he said that that was fruit that abounds to your account. And so MacArthur says, giving is fruit. Worship is fruit, just to name a few. And it wasn't produced by the flesh. But here's the paradox. That all nine of them are commanded repeatedly to us. Throughout Scripture, we're commanded to love. We're commanded to be joyful. We're commanded to experience peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are things we're commanded to do, but they're the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, if that causes you to pause for a moment, keep in mind that every true aspect of our salvation is that we were generated and born again, work of God, and yet we're commanded to be born again. The fact that you believe is a work of God, but you're commanded to believe. The fact that you confess Christ is a work of God, but yet you're commanded to to confess Christ. The fact that you're being sanctified is a work of the Spirit, a work of God, but you're commanded to be obedient. And so we live in the reality of these two things. It's sort of like I said. It's like the caboose. It can't move on its own power. It has to be hooked up to the engine. But then it has to be hooked up on the right track. So when it's on the right track, it's hooked up to the engine, it moves down. And it goes where it's supposed to go. So summing it up, we're commanded to walk in the Spirit, to get in line, to do what the Spirit desires us to do. Jesus is the model for this. His life on earth was perfect, Spirit-controlled, Spirit-filled, Spirit-empowered. He was a fruitful person. And when we look at this fruit... There's really no order except one. And that's love. Because love is the greatest. And so we have fruit that sort of falls in two different categories. Those things that we do, the righteous deeds, the good work, the worship, the giving, uh, leading someone to Christ, that's all fruit. And that's in one category. And you don't, but you don't have any of those things here in Galatians chapter 5 because this is in a separate category. In Galatians 5, it's not about the working of the fruit of the Spirit. It's about the attitude. The attitude. All of these things are attitude when we get to, to Galatians 5. Attitude fruit is action fruit. Fruit of behavior. The acceptable action is the result of an acceptable attitude. You get that? 
if we just do it without the attitude, it's false fruit. Because if we don't have love within us, and we just try to butter someone up, act all syrupy to them, that's false fruit. That's not what God wants. He wants us to have the attitude of the fruit of the Spirit where love, the love of Christ is in us. And then it's outpoured. Then we love people who even harm us. We love them. And if you don't do that, you're just a legalist. You're just thinking that we can, we can do this we can just do the action without the attitude. But here, I think it's important to say that attitude has to come first. These attitudes have to dominate us. And then the actions will come. Because we can't love without acts of love. You can't have joy without expressions of joy. Somebody might ask, how do you know if you're a Christian? And with this thought in your mind, you would say, well, apart from the fact that I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that tells me that if I believe in Him, I am saved. If I repent of my, my sin, I am saved. But that doesn't show you that I'm a Christian. So if you want to know that I'm a Christian, stick around me, hang around me. Because what you will see is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. You will see those things in measure. Because that's the evidence that I am not operating of the Spirit, but I'm, or, or the flesh, I'm operating of the Spirit. That's my Christianity, my salvation on display. That I am a follower of Christ. And that was never developed to be a religion. It's always meant to be a relationship. A relationship. An expression of that supernatural working of that relationship, that union between Christ and myself. Because there's no amount of spreadsheets or crossing the T's and dotting the I's that is ever going to get it. Like someone said, you can cross all the T's and dot all the I's and still spell the word wrong. That's what's, what happens if it isn't a relationship to Christ. Otherwise, it's all about religion. Stop doing this and start doing that. Increase in this, diminish in that. That's not what we're all about. We're all about the relationship to where we are connected to the vine. And when we're connected to the vine, we get the lifeblood from the vine. And what happens? We produce fruit. We produce fruit. I just want to say, there are so many people that think the things they do for Christ are going to get them to heaven. 
But the Lord Jesus said that many on that day will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, look at all the wonderful things we've done in your name. And he will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. Meaning you aren't connected to the vine. He says, I am the true vine. You are the branches. Make sure you're connected to the true vine. And that happens through repentance and belief. That happens when you are born again in the Spirit. And that is the only way. And there are many people that will say, well, you're trying to cut people out of heaven by saying that. No. That is the only way. That is to... That is to end up taking the gospel to people who are perishing that they might live. That's what it is. I don't want to cut anyone out. But I don't want to sit there and deceive someone to say, oh yeah, come in, you join us, you do, and you're in. That's, that's false and that's a lie. It's a relationship to Jesus Christ. And that's the only way. I pray that we would humble ourselves and that we would take that message to those who are lost. That they too might rejoice in the one who has made propitiation for them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful that you have a plan and a purpose for us to further us in this relationship that we would be closer and closer and have a closer walk with you, Lord. Help us walk in the Spirit, walk faithfully in the Spirit so that our lives are relentlessly full of love and joy. It should be that way. When we know that we are loved eternally by an eternal God and that the promise that has been made by Him is so incomprehensible, we cannot understand the eternal inheritance that we will receive and that can never be taken away. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that the world would know that we belong to you and put the gospel, the power of the gospel on display in our lives. And may our transformed lives be witness to those around us so that they would know of the one who transformed us, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray in his precious name. Amen.